Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. When I fished the Classic, um, that was the 12th tournament that I'd fished in my lifetime. So one of the resorts is starting to ice fish up in the northwest angle. Satellite derived um, water temperature as well as water clarity. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or by watching this on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Dan Amundsen's right over there. What's up, Dan? Hey. David Eckhart back in studio. David, what's up? Hello. Were you in studio last week? Nope. I was no. shingling. Shingle, oh, yeah. Shingling. Shingling in December. Oofta. It doesn't feel like December, though. No, it doesn't. As well, I, I went, uh, what day was it? Wednesday last week, I think, I suppose, after we recorded this. I was outside getting ready to leave to go film a deer hunt with Danny Thompson, and I was, it was December, yeah, it was December 6th or December 7th, and I was in a t-shirt yeah. outside. It was 60 degrees. 60 degrees, yeah. 59, close enough to 60. Nutty. Well, we're going to talk about what this weather is doing to deer hunters, duck hunters, uh, pheasant hunters, uh, ice anglers, and more coming up. We've got a pretty cool show. we got Trevor Lowe joining us, and I apologize, uh, Trevor. I appreciate you coming on the show this week. Uh, we were supposed to have him on, I don't know, was it a month ago? At or least. Some, two months ago, something like that, and we just got falls a busy time, and we had a crazy week. We had to bump him back, so I appreciate him coming on. Short notice. So we're going to talk about some open water fishing, um, bass fishing. He So he was the cult. Let me see what I, I got to read this off of here. He was the... College champion in his first year fishing in college. He won the Carhartt Bassmaster College Series in 2015. So I think that was his first year fishing in the college series. He won it. That qualified him for the Bassmaster Classic in 2016. So imagine, I don't know how old he was, maybe 18 or 19, I suppose. I don't know how old he was when he went to college, but winning that in his first year and then even if he was 20, 21, 22, first year, and then going to fish the Bassmaster Classic. It's like winning the punt, kick, and pass contest in <laughs> high school and then going to the Super Bowl. Right. Like, <laughs> now you're doing the kickoff at the Super Bowl, and, and you got to kick the game-winning field goal. So we're going to talk to Trevor about that experience coming up. He's also with Omnia. Uh, and they have some cool new features he's going to tell us about um, to help you catch more fish uh, this year. So we will also have Joe Henry on to get an ice fishing report, a uh, ice conditions report from Lake of the Woods here in just a little bit. And we're going to talk about food plots and, uh, and more coming up. But first, Dan, who are this week's sponsors? Live Target. Match the hatch at LiveTargetLures.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this winter at LakeofTheWoodsMN.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman. Uh, new season is coming at the end of January, but watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. I got a brand new uh, North American Waterfowl podcast that you can listen to now on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel or uh, look for the North American Waterfowl podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. It's all about bands. So we, we went in search of the craziest band story we'd ever heard of and we've got episode two in that series of podcasts available now. Go to North American Waterfowl 
Toyota.com to learn more all about that show. Uh, Dan, Toyota sent us this RAV4. I know we talked about it last week on the show. You had a chance to uh, drive around a little bit. Kind of a fun vehicle to rip around I in. drove it for exactly eight miles, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's enough. to be where I went. Um, well, yeah, I actually, so when I got to my destination and I was leaving my destination to come back home, I, you know, it's, it's got the key fob you just have it in your pocket and you just press the button and I've driven a few cars like that. So normally like I've had, so like my mom has a Jeep and I, sometimes you drive that and you press the button and it doesn't start for some reason. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. And so you got to hit it again. Well, yeah. so I hit this one. I'm like, I don't think it's starting. You know, all the accessories come on, the radio come on. Like, doesn't sound like it starts. So I hit it again. They all shut off. Like, well, what the heck? Do I not have the fob in my pocket? Did I leave it somewhere? Hit it again. Oops, not coming on. Like, what the heck? Well, it's a hybrid. And so <laughs> it was turning on. I just couldn't hear it because it's right. quiet. And right. I, I finally realized that. I'm like, let's just have, see what happens if I put it in reverse. And I start going backwards and I drive home. <laughs> so it was... It was a quiet vehicle. That's ex the ex literally the exact experience I had first time I drove it too. I finally just put it in gear because I, I think I, maybe I told this story, but I was driving, I was moving some other vehicles around in the driveway, so I parked that Toyota Rav Four. It's a Woodland Edition Rav Four hybrid. I had moved it out of the way to move these other trucks around and uh, left it running. And when I came back to it, it, it had shut off. And I'm like, oh, it's eco-friendly electric hybrid whatever it shuts itself off to save the save the planet so i couldn't start it and the same thing <laughs> finally i'm like i'm just gonna put it in gear and see what happens and sure enough it started moving I'm like wow so i it's got uh, a couple of different modes to it that i learned a little bit uh with this it's got a, a trail mode so it, it does have it's not the toyota trd off-road package but it's got a, a trail mode so it has some off-road capabilities with this woodland edition it, it basically will send power and braking to different wheels so if like one your back right wheel is spinning or something like that it'll put some power to to the other wheels to help try to get it out and some braking and uh there's uh, some engineer speak that i don't understand necessarily with how that works uh, but there's also an electric vehicle mode so it will if you've got the battery charged up enough it will run on the battery and it's super quiet and it, it's a very low speed and it's a very short range for this particular model. But I, I, I thought it might be kind of a neat application to use it. Like if you're trying to drive into your, you know, near your deer stand or you're trying to get in where you're going to duck hunt or something like that. And uh, you need to get in there quietly. It's a way to get in there super, super quietly. So here, Dan, play that RAV1 video. So that's what it sounds like. I mean, there's a little bit of noise there, obviously, but that's what it sounds like when, when it starts up and it rolls in that EV mode. It's it's that's mostly just the gravel on the tires is my yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what you're hearing. There's no engine noise. But, but there were a couple of moments where, and I had Danny Thompson with me, there were a couple of moments where it sounded like a spaceship and uh, when Dan's ready, we'll play this next video here. And this, this audio is nutty. And to be fair, I don't know what is making that noise yet, but it happened a lot. I'm sure it's something to do with the battery or or whatever. Char maybe it's char wouldn't be charging without the motor running. 
So I don't know. So there are moments where it's very, very quiet. And then there's a couple of moments like that where deer are thinking that it's the mothership coming down to beam them, you know, up into outer space. It almost sounded like a speaker. I wonder if it's like a white noise to help you fall asleep, to let people know <laughs> that it's moving. Oh, like so it's, you don't hit a it's an intentional noise. Oh, I, I guess I think you're wrong. I don't know. That's my guess. Well, who's going to hear that? <laughs> We're all deaf. <laughs> like, all hunters are deaf. Right. And no one in the city is going to hear that. And nobody crosses the street if you're not in the city. Maybe it's a... You're wrong. Could just be a safety <laughs> thing. Could be. Uh, we'll do a little bit more research, but if you know, comment below and let us know if you know what's making that noise uh, right there. And I didn't... I did, you know, since Toyota sent it to me to drive around, I didn't want to really take it off road too much and put it through too much strenuous activity. But uh, this is one video; it's still on the road. But this is one video where you can uh, you can kind of get a better look at the vehicle. And I, it's the Woodland Edition, so I made sure I was in the woods. And <laughs> there's a big rock next to the road, which I thought was kind of cool. But so it's a Rav Four, so it's a compact SUV. Uh, I was able to get a big Yeti cooler in the back. You can fold down the back seats and actually lay down in there. It'd be a little cramped for a six, you know, guy our you know our height over six feet. Uh, but you could sleep back there. The Woodland Edition trim is not their most uh, high trim package, but it's got like mud mats and mud flats and it's got that trail uh that trail mode and things like that so it was kind of a neat vehicle and i i didn't do the math right away and i probably didn't drive it as economically as i could have but i drove it for 250 miles or so the first day i was getting 35 miles to the gallon with it no way so not bad not bad my highlander which was not a hybrid i was getting 29 30 miles to the gallon with that too so um but I think that RAV4 Woodland would have done better off-road than my Highlander, but that one was pretty good. So where I was with that is I was deer hunting with Danny Thompson and um, had a chance. He's, he's, he's known from Garmin, known as ice fishing, but he loves to deer hunt. And he has managed some properties, put in a bunch of food plots. Here is an example of him talking about one of his food plots. Got the goods. <laughs> what do you got there? Got the goods right here. This is this is what I was saying. I mean, going with a quality seed, and you know, a lot of people like to forget the the fertilizer step of the whole food plot, and it does cost you a little bit of money. But I mean, look at the size of that bulb. And these are planted later July. You can go a little bit earlier, but we got a later grow, growing season here. So, I mean, in a short growing season, getting some pretty good bulbs out of this stuff. That's awesome. So you can learn a little bit more about what Danny does for his food plots, how he manages his property. Actually, if we're going to film two videos or film two videos with Danny, one for the new season of Prairie Sportsman coming up and then one also for our Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. Uh, David, he brings up fertilizing food plots. Do you use fertilizer on yours? Um, yeah, some of them I do. I try to fertilize them every couple of years. How do you rotate? How do you do that? I just go to the elevator and get a five gallon pail and mix it up. And so that's like, and then you just spread it like uh, like your, like seed basically. Yeah, it's just a granular, so yeah, broadcast it. Okay. So that's one thing, uh, Danny, I think he's starting to love planting food plots more than the actual deer hunt itself. I mean, he yeah. loves to hunt deer and he's got two young daughters. He brings them out deer hunting, but I think he just loves to manage the property now and plant food plots. Yeah, I like planting food plots. You know, you can 
put as much time or as little time into it as you want, but you get out what you put into it, really. So we were talking off the air a little bit about um, your seed mixture that you use. He uses Domain, and he's got a Brassica mix, which uh, I think he, he is using as like a late-season food plot. But because of the mild weather we're having this year, he wants to do like a half and half, something that's a little bit more mid-season and late-season since there's you know really no snow on the ground right now. Uh, so deer aren't hitting the food plot like he was hoping it would be this time of year. What do you do, David? So the mix I plant is 40% radish, 30% rapeseed, 30% uh, purple top turnips. And then I plant them mid to late July to that first week of August is when I try to get them planted and hope you get some rain, which we didn't really get this year. So yeah. Um, that one in the picture there, though, that one caught a couple extra rains and turned out pretty good. It was, you know, yeah. top of your boot to knee high in a couple spots. And, um, yeah, the deer have eaten it down pretty far. Gosh, that's all. We just needed to see a deer in the food pond like that. We couldn't buy a deer <laughs> while we were, of course, because we were trying to film it. We couldn't get deer coming in on camera. Uh you, I saw a four-wheeler in that picture there. Now, obviously, you're a farmer, so you got access to tractors and combines and planters and things like that. Do you do you plant your food plots like you're, you're like you're planting um, a big field of corn, or do you have like do you use your wheeler? Do you got a small tractor? What do you do? Um, yeah, so I've got a small tractor with a disc and a digger and um, a brush mower, and but some of the plots I can't get my tractor into, so I'll spray them and then run the drag over them. And then I've got a little digger that I can pull behind my four wheeler too and scratch it up enough to, to get good, uh, good seed bed. So that, I mean, you could basically do everything with your wheeler then. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Cause I want to get like, I really want to start doing food plots. I'm kind of excited about this now. And that, that digger in that picture is probably well over a hundred years old. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was, wow. My grandpa's, it was, I came from my grandpa and, um, yeah, when he was. So they're probably pulling it with horses. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Jeez. That's cool. Then we've come a long ways. Yeah. <laughs> he, he called it a quack grass digger. Then it's actually two sections, but I only use the one, but, uh, yeah, they pulled it behind the horse and pulled it behind the tractors when they first got tractors. So, wow. Yeah, it's probably pushing 100 years old. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, we should probably take a break, I suppose. Um, but coming up, we got Trevor Lowe, uh, a bass guide on Malax. He was also the uh, college, let's see, the college champion, the Carhartt Bassmaster College Series champion in 2015. We'll talk with him coming up. Also, Joe Henry's got a nice conditions report and a fishing report from Lake of the Woods. And more with David and Dan when we come back. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx, know where you stand with Onyx. 
We're back, Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this radio station right here or watching this on YouTube or downloading the podcast. I'm Brett Amundsen along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart. It's been warm this fall. Of course, that's affected uh, deer hunters, bow hunters, pheasant hunters, uh, waterfowl hunters. We tried to goose hunt the other day, Dan. That didn't go very well for we us. We are dealing with, um, A, I think probably the largest the last few weeks we had the most geese around we've had all year yeah um i actually i saw someone on tiktok we were talking about the 90 day 60 day duck season deal and somebody's like oh i can't believe there's grown men in minnesota that think the peak birds are here in december i'm like well <laughs> they they are in our area of the state so in our area yeah, yeah. and not everywhere but in our area so let's put that out there but they are stale as can be and uh, they've seen they've seen a-frames they've seen layout blinds they've seen decoys and uh, they've been tough, but some people have gotten into them if the conditions are right. But yeah. we kind of made it a point. We're not going to hunt unless we have the right weather anymore for the rest of the year. It was like 35, 40 degrees with zero wind. It was a nice Sunny. day and they came out a mile high and right pick at us sunset. out. And, yeah, right at sunset. But, you know, as far as the migration goes, I guess it's all in perspective. You know, not only is it where you live, but it's also what you're talking about. If you're talking about blue wing teal, yeah, September's peak numbers of blue wing teal shocker aren't here in December. Right. (laughs) Talking about green wings, you might be talking about November. If you're talking about you know wood ducks and other ducks, you might be talking about October. But for us, like the first half of October is garbage. Um, September's the local birds; they get bumped out by all the hunting that takes place in September, and then we have to wait. And we have to wait. We have to wait longer and longer every year because of either milder temperatures or because of all the grain that, that the, the birds are eating up north. And when you want to talk about Canada geese, EPP Canada geese for us and mallards, man, there's more around right now than there has been all, all fall. And I can show you the picture. In fact, I'm going to show you some videos. This is this was something else I was going to bring up about what metro areas have done to the migration and also to uh, waterfowl hunting in general is as cities grow, they're becoming big, giant refuges for waterfowl. So when you discuss access and limiting access and factors that are affecting the migrations, uh, a lot of farmers get blamed, um, dro- droughts get blamed, shifting patterns. But there isn't as much discussion about growing cities. And there is a field where I kind of grew up in the, in the Southeast Metro, the Twin Cities. There was a cornfield that's still there and it's now it's surrounded by the city essentially and all these developments. But when I was there, it absolutely was jam packed with mallards. So I don't know if this video will play or not, but apparently not, I guess not. So this is mallards. And if you look kind of in that background, there is a, a bunch of buildings and power lines and there's a shopping center. And this, I just love this video. So this is just a mass of mallards. They're all spinning in different directions. I don't know how they're not smashing into each other, but this is in a cornfield in the city limits in Woodbury, Minnesota, uh, in the Metro. So all these mallards that when I was a kid, I could have hunted this field. So now you talk about restricting access in another way in a growing metro. And not just that, but you've got some of these um, retention ponds that these developments and these shopping centers are building. And some of them have some warm water discharges and they'll keep mallards around all year. There's a park in Shakopee and I love it. I love this place. I stop there all the time uh, and you get there's people feeding these ducks. These are wild ducks. There are some farm ducks mixed in and definitely some that have gotten accustomed to humans but if you if you play this next video let's see if this one will play the mallard just walking around the the entire parking lot you pull up into the parking lot and there's just mallards just sitting there in the grass or in the park literally they had to get up and move from where i was going to park they were laying the unfortunate nature of this is i didn't realize that video made the cut 
while I was doing my show prep. <laughs> okay. It is not in the system. All right. So uh, anyway, the, it's a it's a cool place to go. It gets you a chance to see these ducks up close and, you know, f- talk about feeding wildlife benefits, negative aspects to it, whatever, whatever your opinions are on that. It still allows you to see waterfowl really close. They're there all winter. And here's that. Yeah, here's that mallard. He's just walking around. I'm like five, ten feet away from him. And they were they would slowly kind of walk by and then just walk back down to the water or fly to the water. This guy just kind of waddling along and says, eh, this looks like this looks like a good place to hang out. Not, and then just not lays, bothered at all. No, just lays down and takes a nap right in front of me. So it's a neat play. It's almost like having a zoo and they are wild ducks and the majority of them probably migrate in and out. But some of them stay there and it definitely holds birds that without this could be birds that we could be hunting somewhere. Obviously, the season is closed, so we couldn't. But now these cities are becoming giant refuges. So I'm not quite sure what this I've just been thinking about this with all the mallards I saw in the Twin Cities metro area this past weekend. I don't know what to do there. I don't know what the right answer is. Obviously, I want to be able to hunt ducks later in the season in Minnesota, so that's number one. I don't know if you'll ever be able to do anything about the metro metro ducks. And uh, like I said, they're kind of neat to see anyway. But hopefully we can at least hunt ducks later in the season when this giant push of mallards. This is the most mallards I've seen in Minnesota all year. So uh, argue with us all you want about when the peak migration is. But right now, we have tons of mallards here in minnesota all right we're going to switch to fishing though we'll talk to joe henry coming up and trevor Lowe on sporting journal radio live target the leader and match the hatch is back with new lures that also match the action introducing the live craw the live craw is irresistible to bass walleye and other freshwater species ftex winner the ultimate frog looks and acts just like a swimming frog with an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs the ultimate frog has two styles two sizes and eight colors and iCast and FTX winner, the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch your legendary perch, but this year, Haybell Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. All right, now it's time to bring in Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism on Sporting Journal Radio. And can we just say, can we just go back to the RAV4 uh, hybrid real quick? I think we figured out what that noise was. Play that video one more time, Dan. All right, and so David, before we went to break, you thought maybe it was just a noise to alert people that the car is yeah, running. It's a safety feature, was my guess, and it, it made sense. Dan, what did you think about that? I thought you were wrong because, <laughs> well, <laughs> I had I had some logic because say, okay, where are there pedestrians? Big cities. You're walking through the big mainly. I know there's pedestrians other places, but you're walking through the big city. There's sirens and buildings burning down and whatever <laughs> and, this and that and, <laughs> and and are you going to hear that i don't think so 
But I guess I was wrong. And I mean, I'm man enough to admit David was right and I was wrong based on our preliminary research. I mean, it's a little loud. So, so yeah, so I Googled it and apparently, and I don't, so I had Danny Thompson in the vehicle while I was just filming the exterior of that. And I did, I do remember making him back up just a little bit from where he was. And he, maybe he had it in reverse because that uh, angelic like noise is like a backup beeper for a truck. When a truck beeps to alert people that it's backing up, that's essentially what that noise is. Since there's no engine noise, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I was I wrong. Know. Called it. That's Good job, David. <laughs> wild. That's on the Rav Four Hybrid Woodland Edition from Toyota. Uh, Joe, I you know I got a new Tundra, and you're driving a, a Tundra that you've driven for uh, eight billion miles, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Well, you know, I always kid around, and of course, I'm just joking when I say this, but I kid around with my buddies who drive more domestic type uh, types, as they would say, the Chevy Fords, you know, GMCs, things like that, and I tell them, I'm like, man, if I had your guys' money, I could drive domestic. I got to drive a Toyota. I got to make it last. <laughs> Can't afford those sure repairs. McAllister with Toyota will appreciate that story. But uh, no, I do. I have, uh, I drive, I'm driving an 07 Tundra and I got 357,000 on it. And uh, you know what, I tell you, it's still, it, I mean, I've had to get stuff done over, over time, but you know, um, it, it still runs really well. And gosh, you know, when I think about, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's been paid for a number of times and, yeah, I still like the truck and it still runs well. And it's got that 5.7 uh, liter in it. I got a towing capacity of 10,500 pounds. So when I pull my 3,000 pound boat, it doesn't feel like it's back there. And yeah, it just, it just, for, for me, it's a good truck for my, my fishing and hunting. Well, and it's pretty interesting that Toyota Tundra has been built since it, in America since its birth in 1999. Originally, the Tundra was built in Princeton, Indiana, and then in 06, they moved it to San Antonio, Texas. So the Tundra has always been built in the United States. And uh, right now, I've got I got the 3.4 twin turbo, Joe. So uh, this truck's a lot of fun. But all right, let's, uh, let's move on and let's talk. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll talk about this truck all day. I love this truck. So I'll talk about it all day, but we should probably talk about ice fishing. We should talk about Lake of the Woods. How are things going up there? Yeah, things are coming along. You know, I just saw that uh, one of the resorts is starting to ice fish up in the Northwest angle. So they, they got some good ice up there. It's been pretty solid. It didn't, it didn't break up as much, of course, because it's smaller. You're amongst the islands. So, you know, when that ice up there formed, it didn't uh, blow around and such. So it, it's, it's, it's good shape. You know, they're, they're starting to ice fish up there a little bit. And uh, down on the south end, I know that things are progressing. I know that they've staked trails across uh, a number of the bays. I know that some of the ice guides have gone out on the main lake and have checked ice conditions, and they're, they're doing some work out there. Um, you know, I, I never want to say that we're open for business on the south end for ice fishing. And I don't want to say that we're not because it's so different. You know, everywhere you go across that south shore, there's some areas where, you know, there was some open water that just healed up a few days ago with a cold and, and there's other areas that are pretty solid. So it's going to be starting here anytime. And you, you know, the one thing I'll say for safety, I say this to, you know, I'll say this to listeners, just like I say to my, my friends and family, Hey, when you go on Lake of the woods, you know, whatever resort or outfitter you work through, they're dealing with that piece of ice in the area that they go out of where they access Lake of the woods pay attention to what they say, follow the rules they have for their trail and their road when they open up. They might say, okay, we're gonna start out, it's all ATVs and snowmobiles. And then they go to side-by-sides and small vehicles. And then they'll, eventually they'll let, you know, you pull out a wheelhouse with a side-by-side. And then, you, you know, they, but they have all these rules because they wanna make sure you're safe. They also don't wanna wreck the ice. 
And I would just say that when uh, when the time comes, follow social media, follow Lake of the Woods Tourism, and you know, we're certainly going to be getting the word out there when, when things start happening, which is going to be very, very soon, I think. Um, but again, I'm going to let the, the pros on the ice to determine that and pull that trigger. Early ice always can be really good, and Lake of the Woods is no exception. But um, since it's, uh, it's building a little bit later this year, it's going to give the lake kind of a nice little little break, right? I mean, I, I think once that ice does form and people are fishing up there, things maybe it could be even better this year. You give the fish a, you know, I, I know during the COVID years of some of the Canada lakes that, that I go to when we were closed for a couple of years and gave the lake a little bit of a, of a, of a rest, man, when we came back, it was just on fire. So uh, yeah, granted, this would be a shorter break than the COVID experience, but um, it might make things really good up there. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, we we know that there's a pile of fish out on in front of that south end, as an example, because of fall fishing. You know, people that were going out fall fishing were going out there and anchoring up and jigging in twenty five feet of water and stroking walleyes and saugers, like good numbers. They're also seeing tons of bait on their electronics. So, you know, th- those fish we believe are still there. Um, I do know that there have been a few ice guides playing around a little bit, uh, and, and just doing a little experimenting. They're catching fish and um, yeah. So it's been. It, it, I think it's going to be real good. And to your point, you know, it's funny. You know. We always joke around, even if there's like a big section of the lake, as an example, let's say that it has ice shards sticking way up and, and it's just impossible to get to. And that'll happen from time to time in different areas of the lake. We all say, oh, that's Mother Nature's way of protecting that part of the lake, giving those fish a little bit of a refuge. And But the thing is, Lake of the Woods is so big. I mean, even Big Traverse Bay, yeah, we get a lot of traffic on Lake of the Woods, but you also got to remember, you know, Going across Big Traverse Bay, it's about 30 miles north-south by about 25 miles east-west. You know, a lot of the bigger lakes people talk about in Minnesota, you could put multiple numbers of those lakes within that Big Traverse Bay and and they would fit. So we're talking some really big water. Even though you might see a lot of ice houses spread out for as far as you can see across that south shore in different areas, you still got a huge part of that lake that when you snowmobile across, Brett, as you know, because we've done it, Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, you get out there and you're like, holy smokes, I can't, I'm looking for miles and I can see a couple of houses and that's it, you know. Is that the, what line am I looking at there, Dan? I just made one to show how big oh. the lake is. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Okay. And I got a waypoint there. I don't know what it is. Nobody go there though. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once we are up there fishing, Joe, what's the first thing you're taking out of your, uh, your tackle box? You know, I'm going to probably start out with, um, probably a, a, a rip and wrap. I'm going to put a rip and wrap on my jigging line. And then on my dead stick, I'll probably just put a, a plain red hook with a little split shot above it. And then I'm either going to use a bobber that's set for the, that weight in the minnow or you know, and, and probably one of those foam bobbers, um, the ice buster bobber. And, uh, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pl- play around with that rip and wrap a little bit. And then I'm going to, I'm going to have whoever I'm fishing with, most likely I'll be fishing with somebody. I'll have them probably start with a jigging spoon and a minnow head. And then I'm going to see how the fish are reacting to that rip and wrap. I'll watch my electronics, see what their mood is. Are they pulling in? Are they coming in on it? Are they, you know, whatever. I mean, are they hitting it? Are they not hitting it? But then I'll, then I'll move. Like, I'm not afraid to change lures. I, I use a little bit of snap of a snap on my line so I can change lures quickly. I think I can get away with that because it's stained water. That water isn't gin clear. And uh, you know what? Then uh, I think next I'll probably go with, oh, gosh, um, I uh, – there's a lot of great spoons in the market. The one spoon I really like on Lake of the Woods, it's kind of a small to mid-size uh, Northland Macho Minnow. Um, that Macho Minnow has a little bit of a like a little bit of a piece of tail metal down on that bottom clevis where the treble hook goes. 
And I kind of like that clanking on there a little bit. I also like the one that's got some gold and red on one side, and the other side it's glow red. Um, I would also not be afraid to go with, um, I might try to keep it clean, um, stop sign uh, jigging spoon. Tom's Tackle comes out with that one. That keep it clean color is that glow white with some, uh, you can see it's got some yellow and some green and some blue in it. And that's just a good lure anyway. And then, of course, that, that glow white color is good for Lake of the Woods. Um, I think the fish also understand what keep it clean is and are more willing to bite that because it's good for the lake, I think. Well, you know, especially those <laughs> those educated fish that haven't been beat on, you know, for a while. I mean, they're going to be sitting out there pretty, uh, pretty juiced up to learn, you know. Yeah. So, Do you have a Canadian version if you're going to fish the Ontario side? Is there one in Canadian? <laughs> You know, I never, we, we actually didn't think of that. We do, we do have uh, uh, some Canadians looking at the Keep It Clean program. So until they sign up for that, then we'll go that direction. You know? we, sh- we should bring that up real quick, Joe, about the change in legislation this year about uh, bringing stuff on the ice. Yeah, so um, there is a change in Minnesota. So the Keep It Clean legislation says that you know, starting, I think, in July of, of this summer, is 2023, it is now illegal to place any kind of um, trash, garbage, waste, you know, either on or below the ice, meaning in the water. Um, that means that when you're ice fishing, you need to, you know, put your garbage and, and waste and such. You got to keep it in your fish house, put it in the back of a truck um, or, or in a, in a uh, container of some type, like a garbage can or something like that, or a bucket, maybe a five-gallon pail. But you can't put it directly on the ice. And, you know, we, we believe that this law will, uh, it's a good law, and we believe that it's going to literally keep tons and tons of garbage by uh, from, from going into the, the Minnesota waterways um, unexpectedly. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of good people out there that mean well, but, you know, when you're all sleeping overnight on the ice a few nights and you, hey, let's just set our bags outside the fish house door. We'll certainly pick them up before we go. Man, things happen. 40-mile-an-hour winds. you got birds tearing into it. you got, you know, snow that covers things up. You have uh, um, bags that freeze into the ice, so when you pull them up, all the contents get scattered. And then you try to collect them all and some blow away. I mean, just different things happen, you know, even the ice chunks, you know, if you put, you know, wood, wood down or something to block your fish house up and it freezes in, you, know, you pull your fish house away, that wood stays behind. That's garbage. You know, yeah. you take a moment and chisel that out and bring it with you. All right, Joe. Well, we can obviously learn more about that on your website and we can go there to learn more about booking a trip to Lake of the Woods this year. You know what I'll tell you? We got everything on there, including videos. I think we even have some pictures of you, Brad, holding up a big, uh, a monster eel pellet. Uh, we I don't have photoshopped. Uh, oh, well, photoshop. You know, maybe your face. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we <laughs> yeah. do have, uh, uh, Dan, hey, Danny, aka Freddie, aka Freddie Mercury. We, uh, <laughs> we him up there just because we talked yeah. about him so much, and we didn't do the wisdom thing with Danny today either. By the way, oh, Remember, we got any, wisdom thing with do you got Danny. one for us, little Danny? You know, little. Danny, I would say this. <laughs> As human beings, we're born with two ears and one mouth. You have to learn to listen twice as much as you talk. And I think overall you do a pretty good job of it, but it just always a good lesson to consider. Thanks. I heard that, Joe. I listened to it. Thank you know you. how much I talk? I, I listened to every word you said today, and you had so much wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's safer for me to tell you, and really the, the message might be directed towards uh, Brett. But oh. Uh, it's hard for me to ah. Oh. Ah. Wow. Ah. Well, we're out of time, Joe. <laughs> yeah. hey, if I, wanna... play, I, got a, I got a I got a brand new 2024 Platinum Tundra in my driveway oh, as we speak. Really? The kicker is it's a loaner vehicle because I'm getting a, a couple things done to mine. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, Brett, it's uh, fun to drive. Oh, things like a spaceship. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I had to buzz down to the cities yesterday and uh, 
for some meetings. I'll tell you what, that thing is like a spaceship. Once I learned the dials on that thing, man alive, it's pretty cool. And then of course, it's like you gotta have a darn, uh, uh, like a laptop right built into the dashboard. It's, it's almost like a, a yeah. tablet. And mm-hmm. a man, you know, between XM radio, li- listen to lithium and, and uh, um, oh nice. man, it was just- I love lithium. All right, Joe. Well, if people want to take their tundras up to Lake of the Woods this winter, how should they book a trip? Hey, check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world, is calling out to you. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore and Rainy River, this is the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, sager, perch, northern pike, and eel power. The fishing on Lake of the Woods is like a world of its own. Experience the most amazing fishing through one of the many full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper fish house options. For more information, go to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, we're back. Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this radio station here on the radio network. By demand, sportingjournalradio.com. Wherever you get your favorite podcasts and by watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. Give us a like. Give us a comment below as well on our YouTube channel. Uh, Dan Edmondson, David Eckhart with us. And right now we're going to bring in Trevor Lowe. Uh, Trevor grew up in Minnesota. He won the Carhartt Bassmaster College Series in 2015. He won the title of college champion in his first year. That qualified him for the Bassmaster Classic in 2016. He currently fishes in tournaments in the region and guides on Mille Lacs. He's also uh, an Omni. Would you say you're a, a, a Omnia pro staff, or what would you say what your affiliation with Omnia is? Yeah, um, I mean, technically an employee here. Employee. I, oh, okay, uh, you are. All right. Yep. So my title technically is the uh, marketing manager for pro staff and sponsorships. So kind of had a lot of those uh I guess, uh, partnerships and sponsorships, contracts, that sort of stuff, as well as other things. Sure. Company. All right. And I, I also just have to say, uh, I was going to talk about the picture on your website, on the homepage on the website, but I see it also in the background of this shot right here. Uh, <laughs> I loved Iron Man. So I think that's pretty cool that you got the mask. Well, you, I guess you can't see it in this shot, but when we got the solo shot there, Trevor, you can see it in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Tell right me about there. the mask. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm a big Marvel fan, a big Iron Man fan, and uh, kind of, it's it's kind of a running joke in, in my family. Uh, you know, all the, the cousins that I grew up with, you know, we all have our favorite superheroes, so Iron Man is my favorite. Uh, and so the mask, you know, is obviously kind of trademarked. And then, uh, you know, even at the Classic, when they pulled me in for the way, and I had uh, ACDC Shoot to Thrill going just because that's ah. the... That's awesome. The song that he comes into uh, in the first Avengers movie. So big time Iron Man fan. Uh, and that's kind of how that whole thing played out. Well, I want to talk about the classic because that had to be just a wild experience. But 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 we, before we do that, let's just go back to the beginning and tell me how you got into fishing. Yeah, I, I grew up fishing. Um, so I'm, I'm part of the Hmong community uh, in Minnesota here. Uh, big, big into fishing. Uh, generally speaking, it, it was for food so your panfish your crappies that sort of thing but you know as you get older you start targeting bass uh seeing the elite series guys and and the top 100 or the top 150 and uh you know seeing those guys fish competitively just gave me that desire to go out there and fish and try to you know try try my hand at it uh but you know i would say my dad is the one who introduced uh fishing to me at a young age that's cool so he grew up he grew up fishing as well then um, he kind of had two loves, uh, soccer and the outdoors. Uh, so my brother and I both grew up playing soccer, but my brother took on to soccer more than I did. And then I ended up taking on the outdoors more so than my brother did. 
Okay. I, that's one thing I've, I've learned about the monk community, just the, the, how much the outdoors are part of your culture. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it, it stems from when we, uh, I guess we call it the motherland back in Laos. Uh, so the Hmong people are a indigenous group uh, up in the mountains of Laos and, you know, outdoors is kind of what, what they know. So, um, you know, hunting, fishing, anything outdoors, that's, that's pretty big in the Hmong community. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. And then you fished in college then. Was that, I, I've seen the University of Minnesota logo. Did you go to the U then? Is that where you went? Yeah, that I was at the U during the year that I won the college series. I ended up finishing school uh, at a smaller university here in Minnesota uh, in the Twin Cities. But when I won the college series, I was at the U of M. Okay. What was, what was, uh, so did you just do one year there then? Uh, it's kind of funny. So my freshman year, I went there, then I transferred out to get my generals done. Then I transferred back in. And then my final year, I tra- transferred back out. So okay. it was like a, a two time stint. Uh, how did they have a, you know, I, I, don't, I guess I haven't paid as much attention to the college fishing world as much as Dan has. Cause he worked with the Bemidji team. Um, how, what, what's the program like at the U and what, what was it like to be a, a part of the college fishing world? Yeah. So that, that was my first year in it. So it was kind of like just getting my feet wet. Um, but it's completely different from a lot of the Southern college programs uh we were basically a student group there um not affiliated with the with the university whatsoever uh although you know when when uh when i won the college series they did kind of make it a little difficult to get uh you know the logo and the branding on the truck and the boat um and and that whole deal but um you know basically the same as your harry potter quidditch club or something like that at the u of m so um, <laughs> just yeah, like not, that <laughs> yeah not affiliated so most everything came out of pocket and uh okay yeah the, the pro uh, the university doesn't really do much with that but that's completely different from down south can i say how frustrating that is for minnesota schools like it's minnesota we're a state of fishing and i don't think there's one university or college in minnesota that really does a good job at supporting their fishing team I, and maybe you know of one that does, but I know Bemidji State wasn't super great. Whether well, it was the same thing, it was a club, not a team. And I get there's rules on some of that, but uh, like it's Minnesota, we're a fishing state. Why? You know, I don't know. It's kind of crazy to me. And people are going to these schools for their fishing teams. Yeah, I think um, you know, at least when I was doing my college search uh, back in high school, um, the two the two schools outside of the University of Minnesota that I looked at was NC State. One, I have family down in North Carolina. And two, they were like the top team in fishing uh, that year or that year previous. And then the second team was Virginia Tech. And that was essentially for their fishing team as well. So um, definitely, definitely hear that. I think um, when we were fishing on the college series, it was, I guess, I wouldn't say necessarily frustrating, but um, you definitely had a little bit of envy when you could see uh three teams from one school roll up with all wrapped boats yeah. brand new rigs and everything like that and it's and we're out here fishing you know 18 19 footers that are barely scooting by with you know super basic electronics but it's all right so tell me about 2015 uh you win the college series what what all did that entail how'd that work yeah so we uh the way the tournament format was structured or the college series was structured was you have regional qualifiers. So uh, our Midwestern regional qualifier was on lacrosse 
uh, the Mississippi and lacrosse. So pool seven, eight, nine, I believe it was what it was. And uh, we actually took the last qualifying spot. I think it was 13th out of like 80 teams or something like that. Um, and then they bring you to the national championship uh, later on in that year. And that was on Stevens Point uh, on Lake Dubay, which is the absolute worst fishery that I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, part of the reason was, you know, University of uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point had one of the biggest uh, fishing teams in the country. So uh, logistically, it, it helps to have a lot of the, uh, I guess, the student body or the, the team help with uh, weigh-ins and all that sort of stuff. Um, and just a little bit of promotion on that end. But um, there was like 80 teams in that tournament as well. And mind you, it's a three fish limit in Wisconsin, at least for that part of the river during that time of year. And I think on day one, like 50 boats zeroed, you know, oh so just, just not a, not a good fishery at all. Um, and so we ended up taking second place in that tournament. Um, so what they do then is they take the top four teams and they will, uh, break you up everybody gets a boat to use provided by Bassmaster, and they seed you so one versus eight on the first day two versus seven um and then you fish against one person uh and if you win you go to the next day you win you go to the final day and you win then you win so and you win and you qualify for the classic in 2016 I mean, I think as Dan described it earlier, that's and this is maybe not quite exactly the same. But <laughs> well, it's like, no, but yeah, it, I I said it's it's like if you win the the NFL punt pick, uh, punt kick and pass contest, and then you in become the yeah in high school or middle school or whatever, and then you get thrown into the Super Bowl and you're starting in the yeah. Super Bowl. I mean, that had to be that had to be wild. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, it, it's absolutely crazy. Like I said, my first year in the college series, um, and you know, we, we, my partner and I, we talked about it um, because Brett Pruitt was the the winner the year before me, and uh, he had, he knows Brett personally. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, if you if you make it to the classic, or you make it to the uh, the national championship, and then you got to go through the bracket, you know, it ends up being like nine straight days of you know fourteen hours of days of fishing, you know, and and I was like, man, I wonder if that that's got to be so exhausting and then <laughs> you get thrown right in the middle of it from from the national championship practice to the championship tournament to the bracket tournament right after that and i remember on the final day waking up at like four in the morning and it had been you know like i said nine straight days of this and uh i woke up in the hotel and my mom was there and i was just like mom i'm so tired she's like get up and go fish this tournament you need to go win so <laughs> yeah, that's awesome um but yeah uh it's it's crazy because you know when i fished the classic um, that was the 12th tournament that I'd fished in my lifetime, you know, considering taking in all, you know, small little pickup club derbies and that sort of thing. So you talk about going from basically no tournament experience all the way to the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable, but um, wouldn't trade it for the world. So you're walking out, shoot the thrill comes on, yeah. lights are flashing. Tell me about what you were feeling at that moment. Yeah, it's it's unreal. I mean, I think the BOK center in Tulsa, you know, holds like 19,000 people in the stands or something like that. Um, or at least that's how many people were there. And it's just, it's incredible. I mean, you know, lights come in all different directions pointing at you. Uh, they, you're sitting in your boat, they're pulling you in on the trailer and everything like that. Um, unfortunately I didn't have any fish, uh, for the tournament. I zeroed in that tournament. Um, but somebody has got to take last place. So <laughs> it's totally <fine. laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's cool because you, you step on on stage and, you know, Mercer's there and, uh, he's got such a good commanding presence on stage too. 
Uh, but yeah, and then you walk through this crowd, I guess you call it the, uh, I don't know, kind of like a, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that small little pool oh, of individuals, man. but then, yeah, the stage is cool. They've got, you know, the fan section with, with your parents, your family and everything like that. They give everybody these like sticks with a bobble, like a big head poster cut out of you. And yeah, it's, it's just really cool. So. That's cool. That's cool. They still bring you out there uh, like that and, and let you get to even with a zero, you get to experience all that. All right. For our radio network, we got to let everybody go, but we're going to continue our conversation with Trevor Lowe on the podcast. So go download it now at sportingjournalradio.com or continue watching this on YouTube. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, so you get to go through that whole experience, and then you decided to fish the Bass Elites after that? So when you win the college series, they uh, pay your entry fees for the Bassmaster Opens the following year. So um, that's like nine tournaments to qualify for the Elite Series. Um, and it's, it's all over the country. So I traveled, you know, Florida for the Southern Swing and then Louisiana uh, down to Alabama, all the way up to New York and everything in between. So fished kind of all over the country that year. All right. How was uh, that? I mean, that's, that's pretty intense fishing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, you're going against, um, you know, I would say like probably a third of the field are locals that are trying to, you know, win win one of these big opens tournaments because that gets you a spot into the classic that following year. So you get a lot of these guys where the tournament's on their home lake and you're like, woohoo, let's go and see if we can win this thing and make it into a classic, you know. And and so as as somebody who has very little experience in that part of the country, let alone tournament experience, you know, it's very challenging to go try to break down just these massive bodies of water in like four days um, and try to compete with the guys that have been fishing there for 20 years. That classic was in 2016. Talk about how different it would be if you were fishing in that tournament today, you know, nowadays. Yeah, I think uh, the, the biggest thing I learned about that tournament was not to uh, get out of my element and try to fish things that I wasn't comfortable fishing. Um, I, I mean, that, that year there was like record flooding, uh, on Grand Lake and the water was super muddy and, and cloudy and dirty. And so I being, being from Minnesota, you don't really deal with muddy water all that much. Uh, it's a lot of clear natural stuff. And so, you know, I found some stuff in practice in clear water and I was able to catch fish on that, but, you know, I kind of listened to the doc talk a little too much and wanted to try to go catch fish in the south end of the lake where everybody said that the quality was coming out of and uh just got out of my element and then didn't do well so um that on top of you know advancements in technology i think you know forward facing sonar is going to play a huge role right if you were to go back uh nowadays but you know i feel like everybody's kind of beat that topic to death so we won't go too much in detail on that sure i mean and that i did want to just touch on that just for a second because when you look at say even Malax, where you guide on Malax, right? Yep. And as a as a bass angler, I know when Bassmaster came, a lot of people got worried, like, oh no, you know, like Malax wasn't a secret, but nationally, maybe maybe a little bit of a secret still nationally. Between 
what that tournament did and fishing on that lake since that tournament and then with forward-facing sonar, what, have you seen any changes or any sort of negative effects up there on Mille Lacs? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the the pressure from anglers, uh, without a doubt, has definitely conditioned the fish to not be as eager to eat. Um, I think, you know, we've really had to downsize, uh, you know, bait presentations. Um, you used to be able to go out there, you know, before the Elite Series came and uh, for their angler of the year tournament and just go and find basically any boulder and just you know, you could vertically drop a drop shot straight down on it and, and get bit. Uh, but nowadays I feel the fish are a little more sluggish. I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, they've, they've seen everything thrown at them now. Um, they're getting pinged with sonar like crazy. Uh, so I, I, I can't imagine that it doesn't have a negative effect, um, you know, but I will say with forward facing sonar, it, it definitely allows you to understand their behavior a little bit more. Um, I had a trip there a couple of years back and, you know, we're throwing finesse TRDs, you know, that Z-Man Ned rig, and you're, we're pointing at fish and we're throwing at them and you'll see the bait fall down on your graph and then right in front of the fish and he would just take off and run away from it, you know. Hmm. Um, and from there, we downsized to an even smaller bait and, you know, every subsequent fish after that, we were able to catch them. But um, without forward-facing sonar, you, you're really not going to be able to determine that. Um, just blindly casting and trying to guess whether or not your bait is just something they don't want to eat. Um, but yeah, I think the pressure has definitely gotten to the fish, but there's still plenty of fish out there to be caught. Yeah. Well, that's one thing about forward facing sonar. Cause I'm, I'm all about it. Once I got a live scope, I kind of freaked out a little bit and I was <laughs> like, this is amazing because of the education. Um, mm-hmm. I've not caught fish because I've been using it. Um, you know, well, you'll, you'll mark fish and just try to pound them. Like, I think fish got a bite. They're here. I'm just using the wrong presentation i'm doing it too fast i'm doing too slow i got a downsize and you waste time on it dan and i fished a tournament last summer and and wasted i don't know what an hour on those fish probably that we were marking (laughs) yeah yeah i'm well i'm stubborn (laughs) there's that i'm due to some extent but the education and the ability to see all the behavior what were you gonna oh, say? I think my camera's froze. Oh, um, be- looks good, David. <laughs> That's good. Very just, yeah, yeah. He's, very, he's just listening very intently. Intently listening. <laughs> he followed Joe Henry's advice. Uh, yeah, more. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Well, the, but the what you've been able to learn from fish behavior, you can see. Uh, I mean, obviously, on two D, you could see an arc or a mark. And you're like, okay, there's a fish down there, especially if you're trolling. You're like, all right, I'm about to bring my bait across that mark. He's just sitting there laying on the bottom. And then when you do that same, you know, same troll with forward-facing sonar, you realize most of the time they're not just sitting down there. They're moving around or they're seeing the bait coming or they're spinning around behind it to check it out. Or you're spooking them completely and they're long gone by the time you get into that that zone. So uh, I think where it's really had the biggest effect is finding suspended fish or maybe find fish roaming. You know, sometimes those bigger fish, maybe they had some escape zones where they could get away and they're away from structure. They're not on the bottom. Um, You know, people weren't targeting them suspended as much as they are now. So I think that's where you're seeing the biggest effect, but I'm all for it. I just think it's going to maybe lower some limits, which, as I think all of us have talked about many times in the show here, we're okay with seeing, particularly like walleyes or crappies, we're okay with seeing limits get lowered. Now, especially with, with when you're talking about bass and, and smallies and on well, largemouth too, most people are catch and release. What, what do you think 
I mean, do you think that there's there could be any potential changes or maybe using ch- changes in technology use in tournaments coming down the line at all? Yeah, I think um, I think that lowering limits would be good. Uh, I feel the only per- or the only angler that that would hurt is necessarily uh, potentially somebody who doesn't have access to electronics of that caliber. Uh, you know, your bank fisherman, your shore fisherman, that sort of thing. Maybe even a kayak angler or canoe angler. Um, but in, in regards to tournaments, you know, I, I would imagine there's going to be some sort of limit to the number of transducers you can have. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about guys that, you know, they'll have a forward facing, uh, transducer and they have one that's also uh, perspective mode in the front and they also do that in the back. Um, and then now you've got like 360 degrees, uh, live around your boat. And so I think there will be some sort of limitations to it, uh, because there's enough chatter about it uh, happening online that if, you know, these major tournament entities, Bassmaster, MLF, uh, MPFL, if they don't do something about it, I feel that could negatively hurt their their viewership. Um, and just, you know, you hear it all the time on Bassmaster Live or any of the live streams. It's like we're sick and tired of watching people's butts as they just look down at their screen, you know. So um, if if that's going to hurt their their viewership, then, you know, they might they might take some action into it. See, and that's what's interesting because we're walleye guys. Most of us are mainly walleye guys. I watched a lot of the Bassmaster stuff too, but I also watched the NWT a lot. And granted, that's not the same as watching Bassmaster, but um, watching the walleye guys now with forward-facing sonar and a lot of glide baits and stuff, I've found like I get excited to watch them do that and watch them live scope instead of the traditional, okay, we're trolling crankbaits, this and that. So it's really interesting to it's get more like bass fishing almost. A lot, almost. Of, a lot of casting. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to make it sound like bass fishing is more exciting than walleye fishing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting to get those two perspectives because so many anglers, I think, can get caught in their own world, whether it's bass guys, walleye guys, musky guys, or whoever can get caught in their own world and say, well, no, live scope's great or forward facing sonar is great, but no, it's terrible. And there's a whole, especially in a state as diverse as Minnesota, it's a lot of different worlds and a lot of different aspects we need to figure out and play with. And maybe it's a tournament regulation. Maybe it's a state regulation and you might start seeing that. And then the state regulations will play into the, the tournament regulations. And it's uh, it's an interesting world we're living in, in the world of fishing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the, I, th- I don't want to bring video games into it or say we have to have video game like entertainment to get kids involved I don't really want to go down that road, but when you can bring, I mean, I remember when I got into ice fishing and I would just sit there and just jig blindly. And then the first time I used electronics, I'm like, Oh, my head exploded. Like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) I can see a fish coming in and chasing my bait up and down. Like I got a red mark. Holy smokes. And then when the same thing happened, when I saw live scope and if you are going to bring kids out, number one rule, of course, snacks, right. (laughs) But if, if you can give them, especially when fish are off a little bit, if you can give them a peek under that surface into that unseen world, even if, you know, like that day when we sat for an hour and we had 20, 30 different fish, we're in a, it's a river system. So who knows what kind of fish they were, they weren't biting, but there was constantly fish down there. And especially when you see a giant carp roll through, like I was looking at, we were in four feet of water that one time. And there was like, you know, f- three foot carp rolling through in four <laughs> feet of water. I mean, it filled the entire live scope screen practically like that's amazing. And to be able to show somebody that 
you know, give them a peek into that underwater world that they normally wouldn't see. I mean, it's almost like using an aqua view for the first time when you can see what things actually look like under the surface. That's amazing. And I think it could do so much to promote fishing in general, but, and the DNR is going to have to come up with something. I've been asked to help kind of gather some research and give opinions on the effects of forward-facing sonar. So I always like talking to people like you and get your opinions on it as well, too, because there probably will have to be some changes coming. And I don't want to see the technology taken away because I think it's amazing. Um, but but I think at the end of the day, you're just going to have to see maybe lowering of limits, which, again, probably should have been happening before some of these advancements in technology anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's accurate. I mean, technology is always going to be advancing. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where we, where we say right, stop innovating, you know, um, and and we need to get creative uh, as a community, as a society to figure out how do we continue to adapt with uh, technology advancement. So I think, you know, whether it's lowering limits, um, I think, yeah, I think that that could be a solution. Uh, I'm sure there's other ones that I can't think of off the top of my head. But, you know, there there have been people that are able to catch fish you know, just extraordinarily well for the last 30, 40 years that can still catch them just as well. And, and the, the flip side is true too. There are guys, plenty of guys that fish tournaments that have, you know, $20,000 worth of electronics on their boats and they still can't catch fish. Either, you know? <laughs> so, well, I, I, know. I mean, that just, I've got a little 16 foot lawn that I've got painted camouflage and I, there's a, there's a couple community holes I fish with that when you're next to some of these guys with $80,000 rigs and you're catching just as many fish out of it. Uh, and they're like, your live scope's worth more than your boat. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I want to talk about bass fishing real quick, and then I want to talk about some more technology and what Omnia's got coming out. But let's let's talk about, if somebody who's watching this right now and they want to they wanna think about fishing for smallies, and maybe they're going to go to Mille Lacs. Maybe they're going to go to the river. Maybe they got some other lakes that they want to go fish. How how often are you going to different places and picking the same presentation to start with? Or how much research are you doing? I know Omnia does this lake specific tackle, which I think is I think is brilliant. By the way, um, how often are you trying to you know match the hatch or trying to pick something specific for a body of water, or do you just like, this is my favorite rig for smallmouth. This is what I'm starting with no matter what. Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody has their favorite baits. Uh, you know, mine for smallmouth is going to be a paddle tail swim bait on a little ball head jig. Um, you know, kind of like your 8 ounce 316 little three-inch swimmer or something like that. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to understanding what bottom, bottom composition looks like. Um, you know, match the hatch is pretty important. Um, you know, fish eat fish. So... Uh, I think you can't really go wrong with throwing a swimmer, but um, my bigger thing would probably be water temperature. Uh, that's probably going to be the first thing that I look at. Um, and granted, if you have uh, some some way of telling what the temperature of the water is on any given you know river or lake, that's going to be super helpful in terms of figuring out you know what part of the water column the fish are going to be at are they going to be uh you know do they want to be in current because if it's really really hot water they're going to want to have some current around them you know they're not going to be wanting to be in stagnant water or anything like that so um it, it's a mix of things but you know a little paddle tail swimmer is is great because you can cover water um pretty efficiently with it you can cover all depths of the water column uh you can fish it slow you can fish it fast um and yeah i mean like i said fish eat fish so um, it's a, it's a bait fish imitator and it gets bit, you know, even small bites, big bites. So it doesn't matter. 
So does Omnia send you around and say, all right, tell me, tell me what works on this lake so that we can sell. So when my battery down, <laughs> right. I'll just, should I just, I'll just yeah. freeze stand here. Um, so did, you know, like how do you guys figure out what works best so you can sell body of water specific tackle through Omni like that? Yeah. So we have our ambassador program. Uh, that's one of the things that I had here at Omnia. Uh, essentially, you know, we have anglers around the country. Uh, if they go fish, they can come and create an Omnia account, file a fishing report on that particular body of water, make those product recommendations. And if there is a, a sale on the website that is directly attributed to, you know, that influence, it's a, we call it an influence purchase, that individual will earn tackle credit um, for sharing that information. So okay. let's just say I go and file a fishing report on Mille Lacs. I tag, you know, a mega bass spark shad and somebody comes onto the website, you know, their, their information has them located, you know, in Minnesota. And so they can see fishing reports near you and, you know, my, my report will show up. Or if, for example, like you're showing right now, you're on the Mille Lacs Lake page, you know, you'll see these baits being recommended in these fishing reports uh, and, and products as well. So if somebody adds a product to cart straight from there, makes a purchase, um, you know, you get that attribution um, and then you, uh, you earn tackle credit for it. So it's a, it's a good program to incentivize some, some help. And, and like I said, you know, we're not asking for, you know, spots on the lake. It's more of guidelines so that people, if, if they need to figure out, hey, what should I be throwing this time of year for this particular species? It's, uh, it's just a way to help them have some success in the water. That's brilliant. So are you looking for more people to participate in stuff like that? Or do you have a kind of a pro staff list that's kind of maxed out? Or are you always on the lookout for more people? Yeah, you know, we're always we're always looking for more help in that. Um, the ambassador program is free for the public to join. Um, okay. And, and it's it's open to everybody, you know. So whether you, uh, you trout fish, you walleye fish, you crappie fish, you bass fish, you know, all that information is, is very valuable, valuable to us. Um, it allows us to you know, use our computer uh, uh, machine learning and all the algorithms to punch in, you know, different variables based off the season, the species that you're targeting and uh, helps you, uh, helps our customers understand what they should be be looking for uh, for that time of year. Well, and I, you know, we'd heard, and Dan probably knows more than I do, but we've heard that Omnia name around uh, for the last few years. And we met Matt Hamilton at a glow this year, the conference in Bemidji when we were up there in September. And he was telling us a little bit more about that. And I, I just thought that was just a, a brilliant idea. And then now Omnia is coming out with some more lake information that you can get through the app. Yeah, that's correct. Um, we have a pretty big initiative this year for our new app subscription called Premium Pro. So we've, we've had our app uh, for, I would say, a little over a year now. Uh, basically, it just makes it easier for you to buy uh, fishing tackle, so don't tell your, your spouse about it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we, we've streamlined the, uh, the e-commerce side of our business through the app. Uh, we have our premium membership, which is a, uh, $29 a year. You get free uh, shipping on all your orders. You get 10% back on your orders as well as tackle credit and then you know we have exclusives for uh for our premium members and then the one step above that is the one that we we're launching this year or we're doing much more heavy promotion on it's our premium pro uh subscription which has different map layers uh so you can see here uh we have different map layers in in our app so we've got contours we've got bottom hardness vegetation layers um satellite derived um water temperature as well as water clarity um so all this stuff 
at the tips of your fingers and then you can also layer weather on top of that so if you pull up a map of Malax and you've got contours and you want to see how the wind is hitting this particular point or this particular hump you know exactly how how that wind is going to hit that and put position potentially you know bait fish and and the fish that you're you're targeting so uh, a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we've got Navionics licensed, and we are just working to get that integrated. Uh, our developers are working on that right now, and that should be out by the end of the year. Um, and we're constantly updating, you know, getting feedback from our users just to see, you know, what other sources of information would be helpful for them. Um, we've talked to kayak anglers, and and you know, boat boat uh, landings as well as public access points are going to be super uh, beneficial to them. So that's another thing that's on the list to be added to. And let me just add that, so you get 10% back on all your orders. I think all anglers order enough tackle to pay to with getting 10% back to get your 50 bucks back. It'll pay for itself like like that. You could pay for a boat with getting 10% back. The <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, seriously, though, like my boat, we all know how much anglers buy tackle. Like it's it's it, and I'm guilty of it. I don't have an Omnia premium account but i should because it's a no-brainer <laughs> it we, really we, is it we can get that squared away all right i like the sound of that <laughs> well that i think integrating wind and trying to show on an app where the bait fish might be positioned i think i, I think anglers that have been fishing for a long time know what role a wind what role wind plays but sometimes i don't think people pay enough attention to what wind is doing out there. I think that's a pretty, pretty key component to a successful day on the water. Yeah, I think, I think that's accurate. Um, you know, and I'm guilty of it as well of just saying, ah, we're just going to show up and go fish. You know, uh, you know, I know this lake well enough and, uh, you know, I've got my spots that I want to go and take a look at. Uh, but I think, you know, there've been plenty of times where you get out there and you're like, okay, the wind's hitting it a certain way. You know, let me, let me figure out if these fish are repositioned a little bit differently on this flat or on, on, you know, this, this, uh, particular ledge or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, the whole, the whole goal of this is to have, uh, to help anglers be more successful when they actually make it out on the water. Um, and to be able to do that from, you know, the comfort of their home the night before, um, as well as just, uh, bringing all these different resources into one app. So you don't have to have five different apps to see, you know, the storm cells that are coming through the wind direction and, and how heavy that wind is going to be the next day along with your contours. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool just to be able to layer everything on top of each other. So, you know, you know, in, in two hours I can fish this part of the lake, but I can't, you know, because of the storm cells coming through or, you know, um, you know, if, if I need to get off the water by this particular time, because the storm is, is blowing this way, or if there's lightning strikes on the North end of these big reservoirs down South, but I can go fish the south end because that's clear. So a lot of really cool things that you can uh, use with this app. Yeah, it might just even help you pick something as simple as a boat access, the right one to use. Mm -hmm. Just a like place, place to start. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And for a lot of anglers, you need a place to start and you figure it out from there. But finding that place to start can be intimidating depending where you're at. So that's, that's huge. Well, Trevor, where can we find more information about Omnia, download the app, et cetera, find all the features, and then uh, where can we where can we find out information about booking a trip with you on Mille Lacs? Yeah, so Omnia, uh, omniafishing.com is our website. Uh, most everything is on there. We've got a big search bar that you can type in the app, Premium Pro, anything like that, and take you right to those pages. Uh, for me, if you want to book a trip with me, you can reach out to me on any of my social media channels. Uh, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, uh, and that's just Trevor Low Fishing, T-R-E-V-O-R-L-O, uh, the shortest last name you might ever run into. <laughs> and then uh, I also have uh, my website, trevorlowfishing.com. So 
Oh, and yeah. babies. And babies. Uh, that's, my, <laughs> that's my little girl. Her name is Lucy. She's uh, she's about 16 months, a little over 16 months. Oh, so nice. that's uh, one of my pin posts because that was uh, pretty life changing for me. Sure. Oh, congrats, man. Cool. Well, and congrats on all the success and uh, good luck with everything uh, this year for guiding and, of course, with Omnia. And Trevor Lowe, thanks for the time today on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.